before we, we jump into the passage this morning, the way we begin is we do begin with our young ones here, like we said, because we want them here with us. And so, young ones, if I can have your attention, I'm going to tell you what this passage is going to be about and what the sermon is going to be about. So, uh, I, kids, have you all ever seen, do you all know uh, about horse races? Have you all ever seen a horse race? Did you all know there are dog races? There are. There, there, there are dog races. And I, I've never been to a dog race but, but I've, I've seen one before, and what they do is they, they, they get this. With horses, all you need is somebody to get on the horse, and then, you know, you go, and, the, you know, the jockey can get the horse to race really, really good, hard. But there, you don't, you know, people don't ride the dogs in the dog races, okay? Uh, so the, dog, the way you get the dogs to run is they get this rabbit, and it's not a real rabbit. It's like a stuffed rabbit, and they around the track, and then they let the dogs go, and the dogs take off for the rabbit. Like, the, that's why they're running and the track breaks, and the dogs actually catch the rabbit, and they get to the rabbit, and they're all over it, and they're all over each other, and they're like leaping, and they're so confused, and they're like, it's just a, it's a madhouse, it's chaos, because they don't know what to do when they actually catch the rabbit. Okay, that is a picture of what it is like for people in this world to chase the rabbit in their life and when they get it. So like, think about like, what's the rabbit in your life? Is it like, I want to grow up and I want money. I want to grow up and I want a big house with like a pool. I want a house that's got two stories. I want a lot of houses or, or I, want to be, I want to be an influencer. I want to be known. I want to be famous. I just, I got to get good grades. I, I got to make the team. I got to, you know, have all the friends. Like, whatever it is, like, what is that rabbit in your life? What Jesus is going to tell us is, if you get that rabbit in your life, all this other stuff, if you finally get it, you are not going to know what to do with it, because it is not going to be enough for you, whatever it is. What we're going to read today is this Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon by Jesus. We're going to hear Jesus give a sermon. This is called like the greatest sermon ever. And what Jesus is going to say at the very beginning of this Sermon on the Mount is he's going to talk about the only blessing, the only reward, rabbit, that is really going to be enough for you is Jesus himself. Like that's it. That's the only thing that is going to be enough for you in this life and for the life to come. It's Jesus. And here's the good news. It's not that you need a rabbit. It's not you need like rabbit Jesus that won't break down on you so you can catch Jesus. Like it's not, it's not you know, you do have, Je you have Jesus right now. You can have Jesus right now and you can have him forever just by believing in him. So it's not like you need the rabbit to break down. It's also not like this thing where you have to actually catch the rabbit. It's not this thing where you have to win the race to get the rabbit. The best news of the gospel is this. Jesus has done what you cannot do. He has lived the perfect life for you, and he has died for your sins. And he has won the race, and he shares his reward with you purely by grace. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is receive it just by believing that Jesus did it for you. And you get his reward. You get him. You get heaven. You get everybody that is going to heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. That's, that's what he's going to be telling us today in this Sermon on the Mount. Best sermon ever. 
This is a new series, if you're just joining us, if you've been coming, you'll notice that this is a, a new series this fall in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to spend all fall working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, in this three-chapter discourse sermon, this is what Jesus is doing. He's introducing the new covenant. So he's going to introduce his work, what he's going to do, how that's going to bless us, and how we're supposed to live right now in this world in light of that great salvation. And this has been called by many the greatest sermon in the world. Uh, what I'm about to say, this is not the greatest sermon in the world. No, okay? Okay, this is just a, I don't know, you could say just the beginning of an exposition of the greatest sermon in the world. Uh, we're jumping into chapter five of Matthew. So we're not starting in chapter one, jumping into chapter five. How did we get here? Well, in the Old Testament, Sounds like such a long review. No, but seriously, like real quick, come with me to the Old Testament. The big event in the Old Testament was the Exodus. The Exodus, that, that thing of Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, 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 no. And God comes with the plagues and he frees his people miraculously from slavery in Egypt. The Exodus. That's us. A greater Exodus is coming. Like all the prophets after that are like, yeah, the Exodus was awesome. And a it was pointing to something greater to come, a greater Exodus. So expect someone like Moses to come, but greater than Moses, to deliver God's people like they were delivered from Egypt to a promised land, through a wilderness. Like all these motifs, yeah, they were all, they're all true, they're all historical, and they're pointing to something greater. But it's on a more ultimate and final scale. So in the first four chapters of Matthew, which we're not going to review, but he has begun to reveal, Matthew has begun to reveal how all of that is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the greater Moses. He draws all these parallels between Jesus and Moses. It's fantastic. But we're going to jump into chapter 5. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And what you're going to see is we're actually going to begin in chapter 5, and then we're jumping to the very end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, because what you're going to see is these are the bookends of the Sermon on the Mount. This is how Jesus begins and ends his sermon. Here it is. Okay. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now moving down to the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. 
So did you see that? Now here, and remember everything we've been saying about the liturgy leading up to this? Here now in Matthew 5, Jesus goes up a mountain to give this sermon, to speak the word of God. And remember, Moses went up a mountain. After the Exodus, they come to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up Mount Sinai to receive the word of God, the Ten Commandments, which were the constitution of the what? Of the old covenant, the constitution of the law. <clears throat> so Moses went up the mountain in the Old Testament. He went up the mountain and introduced the people to the old covenant. Here Jesus goes up this mountain and he introduces people to the new covenant. So here in Matthew 5, you can say that Jesus is imitating. He's reliving. He is fulfilling what happened with Moses and Israel at Mount Sinai when God gave the Ten Commandments. Jesus says he's the new Moses, a greater Moses. And he talks about this new exodus, how one enters this new kingdom that he's bringing and what this kingdom will look like and how his kingdom people will live. But, but... We can't just talk about how these two mountaintop experiences are just like each other because they're not just like each other. They're also very different, and the differences are super-duper important. When Moses went up the mountain to receive the law, the people could not follow him. They couldn't even get close to the mountain. And a lot of us have, you know, a lot of us have heard about you know, God giving Moses the Ten Commandments and those two tablets. Okay, see, I remember that. But we forget when God gives the Ten Commandments, it says in the book of Exodus, it says that God comes down on Mount. Remember like the burning bush? That was just a little prelude to like what's happening here. He comes down on the mountain. This is the burning mountain. The whole thing is up in fire and smoke. It says there's booming thunder and lightning all over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in Israel, in the Israel camp, trembled. And the trumpet grew louder and louder, and the whole mountain trembled. There's an earthquake going on. And the people were told, if you touch that mountain, you will die. Do not come near it. Okay, that's how the old covenant came. Now, Jesus goes up the mountain, and Jesus is not just Moses. He's not just another prophet. He is God. He is the Son of God. God in the flesh, and yet, anyone in the crowd may go up to him. That's how the new covenant came to us. And the way Jesus begins to tell us of the new covenant, he starts with the Beatitudes. And it's just a fancy word for blessing. Jesus starts with the good stuff, which is what we all most fundamentally and exclusively want. We want blessing. We want blessedness. We want happiness. 17th century Jesus, Jesus, 17th century genius, Blaise Pascal, who was, both sides of his brain were working, like French mathematician, physicist, and philosopher, Christian, uh, that, that doesn't have to do with your brain, so that, that came across wrong, and he was a Christian. Okay, uh, he wrote this, he wrote this, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object of happiness. This is the motive of every action of every person, even of those 
who hang themselves. He says, everyone, everyone who has ever lived, everyone is obsessed with happiness, a blessed life. Now, uh, more recently, uh, years ago, uh, the most popular class at Yale University was a course that was called Psychology in the Good Life, and it was a class on happiness. This is back in 2018. Uh, 1,200 students enrolled in it. That's about a fourth of their student body, of the undergraduate student body. And, and actually, nothing new under the sun. Back in 2006, Harvard had already done this. Harvard had this same class. 900 students had enrolled in it. And these, these courses at both were only ever offered once because it just messed up the rest of the course scheduling like for all the other classes and they just, it was a total interference. So, uh, but happiness, happiness is the end and everything else is the means. I mean, think about it. People will say, what good is money if it doesn't make you happy? Nobody says, what good is happiness if it doesn't make you money? But the world is convinced, money, power, that that is the way to happiness. We envy the people at the top, the successful, wealthy, the athletes, the celebrities, the influencers, the ones who just aren't having to count every dollar, uh, who aren't having to work overtime. We envy those who just don't have to work. Uh, we envy those who have it all, seemingly, uh, we envy those who are not in need, seemingly. So when we get to Jesus' blessings, when we get to these beatitudes, I know I'm not the only one. We don't want these blessings because these don't sound like blessings. I mean, think, it, poor, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, does that, sound, does that mean what it sounds like? Like Jesus is going to make me poor? mourn like jesus is going to make me you came here and you didn't know this you came here to be blessed in such a way that you'll leave here mourning i mean did you come here to mourn like jesus is going to make me mourn i don't want to be sad i do everything i can to avoid being sad make me meek okay isn't that weakness meekness isn't that weakness like and it used to be it used to be to advance in the workplace one of y'all just told me this it used to be to advance in the workplace you just had to be willing to work harder than the next person uh, no, that's done. It's not even about how much work you do or the kind of work you do. Now it's about positioning yourself. It's about having the right hallway conversations. It's about playing the political game. And you actually need to be spending just as much, if not more time doing that than your actual work. And if you were to be meek at work, you're going to get slaughtered. How about this? Make me hungry for righteousness. People don't like righteous people. I don't want to be that kind of person. And that's just the first half of these blessings. And then there's the rest of this blessing stuff. This is a, it seems like the flip side where you say, okay, and then I get into the rest of it. The second half, I am not, and I don't think I can be that kind of person. Merciful? I mean, that sounds nice, but those are the people that get taken advantage of. I'm more like Batman. I am justice. Uh, you know, pure in heart, that, doesn't that mean like you're naive? Peacemaker? I got to tell you, I try to avoid other people's messes as much as possible because when I get involved in other people's messes, what I end up doing is making two enemies. Uh, the persecuted? 
I'm just not the martyr type. And, and I know as ridiculous as the world is, I just, I really cannot afford to be canceled right now. And I, I, I can't be that kind of person, which is actually really scary. You know, I read these Beatitudes, like that doesn't sound like blessing this first half, and then again in the second half, and like, well, that's just ter- terrifying because to me all that means is I'm not the kind of person that Jesus could bless. Like, I don't, I don't like the Beatitudes. So, let's start to address those objections. Just first, that latter one, which we're going to come back to again. But this thing of like, I can't be, I, I, I cannot be that kind of, I'm not merciful. I can't be that kind of merciful. I can't be that kind of peacemaker. I can't, I can't be that kind of person that Jesus would bless. So, why, so he's not going to bless me. Okay, first, these are not conditions. Jesus is not talking about conditions that you have to meet in order to earn Jesus' blessing. It's not what he's talking about. These are not the ethics of the new covenant. That is coming. But that's not what this is. These are not the commandments. These are the blessings. You know, if you think about, sorry, if you think about covenants, which I I know we all do, uh, there are these specific sections in covenant treaties. There is the command section, the stipulation section, and there's the sanction section where there's blessings and curses. This is the blessing sanction, section of this, <laughs> sanctions, section. Uh, that makes sense? Okay, uh, here's the thing. Uh, these are not the ethics, those are coming, these are the blessings that Jesus is pronouncing, and the thing with Jesus is, he's the son of God. And already in Matthew 1 to 4, he has started, he's begun to claim that he is the son of God, and he's already started doing miracles and healing people. When Jesus blesses you and you have a disease, you are healed. When Jesus blesses you and you're paralyzed, you start walking. When Jesus blesses you and you have demons, you are delivered. So when Jesus says you are blessed, you are blessed. And, and, and then, you, you know, that thing, and, the, and that Back to that first objection, where we're going to spend a little more time, we're going to come back to that. And being sad, and being meek, and being hungry, they don't sound like blessings. Oh, yes, they are. Jesus pronouncing these blessings in a very artful way, greatest sermon ever. There are eight of them, eight of these Beatitudes. And this comes across in the original Greek. This is, this is what commentators call an exquisite concentricity. Uh, uh, there's this balance in the Beatitudes. Because Jesus uses, in the Greek, Jesus uses 36 words in the Greek for the first four Beatitudes. And then he uses 36 words for the last four Beatitudes. And, and you might say, like, I read nine Beatitudes. That last one about persecution and then the other verse about persecution, it's the same Beatitude. It's just a long one. Uh, and this artful arrangement, it signals to us that we're actually supposed to look for parallelism. You know, if, there, if we've got these, back, these first four and these other four, okay, we need to start looking for parallel, parallelism uh, at the beginning of this greatest sermon ever. And when you look for it, you, it's there. So the first promised blessing in that first beatitude, what's promised is the kingdom of heaven. And the last promised blessing in that last beatitude is the kingdom of heaven. And the first and the last promised blessings, those are in the present tense. 
You, you, you do get the kingdom coming. You have the kingdom of heaven. It's yours. It is yours. And then uh, those are in the present tense. Uh, and then the middle six, the six in the middle, are in the future tense. So with just a glance, you can see that this is a, what they call an envelope structure or an inclusio where uh, you bracket a message with the same material at the beginning and at the end to say this is one message. That, look at all this unity. This all fits together. So let's just ask, what do the first, to get at like how are these, how are these really blessings, these beatitudes, what do the first and the last blessing have to do with each other? I mean, think about this. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit and then persecuted. Like what, what, do those have in, like what do those have to do with each other? Poor in spirit, poor, just think about being poor. Poor means you can't provide for yourself what you need. Poor in spirit means you bring nothing to the table with God. You don't bring anything to the table. That is a blessed state to be in. And you want to stay there all this life in this position of absolute and utter need and dependence on Jesus for what you need. That is a blessed place to be. What, okay, poor and then persecuted. And again, we're just, there's so, we could do a whole series on each of these Beatitudes. We're not doing that. We're, we're trying to see the forest. We don't want to miss the forest for these beautiful trees. Uh, but poor and persecuted. Okay, so what does poor in spirit have to do with like being persecuted for righteousness' sake? Well, ironically, here's the irony is the world will persecute you and will wrongly, ironically, revile you as if you were pompous, as if you were judgmental, as if you were exclusive and full of hate. Because deep down, the people in the world, they don't like poverty they don't like weakness. They don't like dependence. Which tells you what they really, really hate is Jesus. Which then does give you this blessed opportunity to witness to the truth of Jesus with people who are persecuting you. So it is this thing of you are blessed now. You are blessed already as poor and as persecuted and right now, the kingdom of heaven is already yours. You really do have Jesus right now. You really do have the king of glory. You really do have, have his salvation. You have Jesus, and should you lose your life, death is just the first resurrection. As you ascend to heaven in glory. Again, so much more we could say, but just the forest. What about the second and the second to last beatitudes, to be, you know, this thing of where you're blessed to be a mourner and you're blessed to be a peacemaker. Like, what do those have to do with each other? To be blessed to mourn means you are able to mourn the brokenness of sin. The sin in you, the sin in others, as in you truly know why the world is broken. You get it. It is because of sin. And the world denies that over and over and over but you are blessed to, to know it and to mourn it. And you know the one remedy, Jesus. Like, what a blessing. So let yourself mourn. You know, we're so afraid to be sad. Let yourself be sad. What about peace, a blessed state to be in? Uh, and you are blessed to mourn. And what about peacemaker? What does that have to do with mourning? You are blessed to mourn and you are blessed 
blessed to pursue healing as a peacemaker, healing the brokenness of sin with the grace that you have received. So you are blessed now already with mourning and peacemaking. And then one day, what we are promised, that we do not have it now, this is a future blessing. One day, all mourning will cease. And Jesus, the Son of God, will wipe away all tears. And then, and this further promise of, uh, with the peacemaker, and you will be called sons of God. As in, we will all, every person from every nation, of every age, ethnicity, sex, man, woman, we will all be totally, unequivocally, and eternally equal. We will all be sons of God. In, in, in that sense of we will all be treated as total equals in unimaginable glory. There will be no quarreling. Uh, what about the third and the third to last where you're meek and you're pure in heart? You are blessed to, is this thing of meekness, you are blessed to not be proud of your works, to be proud of yourself as if you were worthy of God's blessing. You have meekness is strength under control. And it's, not, it's about not demanding your rights. Not about taking power now. You have contentness, contentment, with what you've been giving. Like you can say, what I have, and I have Jesus, that's enough. That's meekness. What does that have to do with pure in heart? Okay, well, think about like what is pure in heart. Uh, think of purity of a precious metal precious ore like you are blessed with purity in the sense of there's not all this garbage there's not all this junk in your heart cluttering up the place pure in heart means it's this thing of like you are blessed with purity and having one love you have one love you have you have one that is uh one passion and one who is worthy of that passion and love that's what purity of heart means is you've got jesus in your heart and you, you remember that confe the, the confession of uh, faith we had this morning, Psalm 24. We said, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And which, which means like, and then he explains, what does it mean to have a pure heart? Who does not lift it up his soul to what is false. He says, who does not. So you are now already blessed with meekness and purity of heart. And one day... You think about the meekness, one day you will inherit the earth. Everything you see, everything around you, it is actually yours. You will inherit it when Jesus comes back. And you will see God. That's the other part. And you will see God because God will be there. And he will dwell with you and with all of us in that new heavens and new earth. What about the fourth and the fourth to last, which actually come one right up? Merciful. Like, what do those have to do with each other? Like, hunger for righteousness. You are blessed... You're blessed to hunger and I'm lacking justice. You want justice. You hunger for it. You want what is good and what is right. And thank Jesus, you are also blessed with mercy. You are blessed to also be merciful. You also want mercy. You want justice and you want mercy. And you want mercy for everyone you love. For those who are closest to you, for your family, you want mercy for your best friends, and you, want, you are blessed to want mercy for your enemies. And right, you need both those blessings, hunger for justice, and, and to have that mercy, you need them both or you would be a monster. 
uh, you've got both now already, and one day you will be satisfied with all righteousness as you yourself will receive the fullness of God's mercy to you. These are, and again, I know that was whirlwind drinking from fire hydrant. I know it, but the forest, these are not negative traits. These are not fleshly character. I've heard that so many times. These are not fleshly characteristics of people who will be blessed despite their sinful nature. No, these are fruits of the Spirit. This is the Spirit's work in you. These are not, these are not benchmarks to meet uh, on your way to glory as if this was a progression and where you need to start. You need to start here, and then you need to move to this level and this level and then and this level, and then you will attain sainthood. No, and, and, and these are not different kinds of people like, ah, uh, there's the poor in spirit, ah, uh, and then there's the peacemaker, ah, uh, and then there's the meek, ah, uh, and then there's the ones who hunger. These are not different kinds of people who can be saved because they have the right disposition, as if there were neutral people in the world, as if there were good people and bad people in the world. No. The Beatitudes are not this, we're coming back to this thing, the Beatitudes are not the stipulations, they're not the commands of the new covenant. They are the promulgation of the new covenant sanction blessings. And that sets the context for everything that follows, for everything else Jesus is going to say in the Sermon on the Mount. You've got to start with where Jesus starts, which is blessings. Virginia Stim Owens, uh, a writer, author, professor, and a Christian, uh, she had taught literature at a ton of different universities, and uh, at one of them, I'm just not going to name it. If you want to know afterwards, come and I'll tell you afterwards, but someone's going to take it as an insult. I'm not going to do it. Uh, at one of them, one year, long ago, 1987, she came up with this assignment uh, where uh, her freshman English class was going to read the Sermon on the Mount and then write an essay, write a response to it. So uh, practically none of them had read this thing. None of them had read the Sermon on the Mount. And most of them had never heard of it. So the essays come in, they hated it. These students, they, they hated the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to, listen to these three excerpts from different, three different students. One said, the stuff the churches preach is extremely strict and allows for almost no fun without thinking it's a sin or not. Another one said, I do not like the essay, Sermon on the Mount. It was hard to read. It made me feel like I had to be perfect, and no one is. Another student said, the things asked in this sermon are absurd. To look at a woman is adultery. Uh, that is the most extreme, stupid, unhuman statement that I've ever heard. Uh, and Virginia Owens wrote an essay in response to this. And she's, she's just, at the beginning, she's like, just blown away. But then she thinks about it. And this is her response. She said, the question that I was personally interested in was, why were these students, A, so angry at what they had to read, and B, so blithe in their dismissal of it? And she says, reading these excerpts, excerpts like this, uh, she began to actually be encouraged. And she said, okay, now this, as I read these and read more, I was like, oh my God, this is the real thing. This is a pristine response to the gospel, unfiltered through two millennia of cultural haze. Like, I find it strangely heartening that the Bible remains offensive to honest, ignorant ears, just as it was in the first century. For me, that somehow validates its significance. 
is what this is. They heard the Sermon on the Mount without any filters, you know, any all these cultural filters, and they hated it because they were terrified of it because they didn't get the Beatitudes. Like, who is Jesus talking to here? This is a big question. This is a big question of who is Jesus talking to? It says a crowd. Okay, wait. That's one question. Who is he talking to? It says a crowd. It says disciples. And then it's this question, who is he talking about? The poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger for justice, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the martyrs. He's talking about people who are already Christians. Who are, he's talking about people who are already blessed by grace and already being sanctified in the image of Christ. Which means there is, and I'm just going to throw this fire hydrant phrase out at you, which means there is what we would call an eschatological, which just means ultimate heavenly thing, but already blessing in each blessed denomination itself. Like when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah, that is a blessing to be poor in spirit. There, there's an it already, there's an already a blessing uh, in, in, in the Christians that he's talking about. And even as Christians are on their way to the eschatological, not yet blessing of heaven, new heavens, new earth, eternal glory, resurrection from the dead. Starting with the blessings is everything. He's describing Christians. And starting with these blessings is everything. Because on Mount Sinai, here's another huge contrast. On Mount Sinai, the people heard from mediator Moses. They heard the principle to inherit the old covenant blessings, which was the land of Canaan. To, to inherit those blessings and keep the land and be a kingdom, you had to do it by works. That was the principle of inheritance, of those blessings which are not the ultimate heavenly, it's not how you get saved. It is a picture of can people inherit this stuff through their works like Adam was supposed to, like Jesus actually does. And the answer is no, the, Israel can't do it. It's this parable in time, but that's the principle of holding on to the symbolic blessing of heaven. How do you get the land? How do you hold on to the land? Works. That's what they heard. Do this and live in the land. On this mount with Jesus, the people heard from mediator Jesus the new covenant blessings, and they heard them pronounced before they ever heard or before they ever understood the principle to inherit these blessings was grace. Like they knew, they knew, they knew the Abrahamic promise, they knew the gospel promise given to Adam after the fall of the, uh, someone is going to come and do what you cannot do to save you. Yes, they believed in grace, but here they are, and they're hearing this new covenant pronounced, they're hearing these blessings, and what are they expecting? They're like, how hard are we going to have to work for this? What are we going to have to do? And it's all by grace. But before, before they hear these blessings, these ultimate blessings of already, not yet, eternal glory to come, and they hear them before they understood it was going to be by the mediator's works of fulfilling all righteousness and bearing the curses for their works, for their failures. That before they hear that Jesus is going to do what they cannot do for them, that he would accomplish these blessings for them. Before they, but they're hearing the blessings, this blessed life, before they heard or understood, it was the Spirit. 
They are pronounced by this new covenant Lord and mediator because Jesus has the power to see it done. Disciples come to him. Is he talking to the crowd or is he talking to the disciples? Big question with the Sermon on the Mount. And sure, of course he's talking to his disciples. Like it says it, he's talking to his disciples. And they will continue to struggle with this gospel until Jesus is crucified and he's raised and he comes and he explains it to them again. And then you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus ends by pronouncing curses. He's done the blessings, now he gets to the end, and he pronounces these curses in chapter 7. And then Matthew says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The crowds are still there. This is a declaration of blessing and... This is a promise of blessing to those who will look to, who will come to the one pronouncing blessing, to the one who speaks with authority, with the authority to bless, and he is accessible. You can come to the mount. Just as the curses threatened at the end of Matthew 7 to the crowd are a warning, they are a warning of impending doom to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, so he invites all those listening to come to him that they would be blessed. This is it, right here at the end. The Sermon on the Mount, it comes graciously, unlike the law, because Jesus came to fulfill the demands of the law. God, you think about this, God's holiness, God's requirements, they've not, cha- they've not changed. We're going to see that. We're going to get into the ethics. But his requirements are fulfilled by a substitute. They're fulfilled by a representative for us. So Jesus can invite us into his presence, into God's presence. You can't earn it. You can't prove yourself. You have to trust in the one who came to do it for you. Jesus does what Israel failed to do. Jesus inherits the promised land for his people. And that land, it is ultimate and it is eternal. Hear this if you didn't hear. Jesus becomes the cursed one in order to make you the blessed one. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this most awesome sermon. Father, we thank you for your grace, and, and we praise you for your blessings. Even the blessings that to us don't sound like blessings, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, the eyes of faith to see Jesus for who he is, our Lord and our Savior who has done what we cannot do, who has blessed us right now with, with, this, with this faith, with this grace, with your Holy Spirit who is applying the finished work of Jesus to us working that salvation out in us. Lord, we, we, we do give you thanks. Uh, hearing these blessings, and we give you thanks for the faith to believe. In, even when we don't fully understand, we, we give you thanks that we can trust you, uh, Lord. And um, we, we, we pray for Clementine and uh, the awesome blessing that she has been to this church, the blessing that she is, to her family and to our family. We pray that you would continue to grow her in this faith as you continue to grow us in this faith. Lord, we pray that we would be a blessing to her, that we would only uh, ever point her to Jesus and closer to the church. And when we fail to do that, and we will fail to do that as a church, Lord, that we would repent and that we would continue to seek her out, to love her as you love us. And Father, we pray that you would bless her uh, uh, to, to be a, a blessing to us, to push us closer to Jesus, to push us closer to one another. We pray for your people here, 
that you would uh, help us to, uh, to use the gifts that you have given us. Uh, Father, that we would live out of that spirit-given fruit of the faith uh, to love one another and to bless one another uh, all to your glory. Father, the challenge is to challenge today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day, so we pray for it. We pray for your strength, your wisdom, your love, and your grace, and we give you thanks for Jesus because in him we have all of it, and he is enough. Amen.